0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We think
1: like, if we achieve this, then man, it's just smooth selling. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's totally a lie. Because as human beings, we're so insecure. We are so insecure. And when you reach that top of the peak, whatever that even is for you, I don't even know Whatever that is, I can guarantee you this, you'll be looking over your shoulder to see who's gonna take your place. And that's just how it works. So don't envy people of power. Don't envy people of power because it's not all it's cracked up to be.
0: When you're facing a crisis, what is your first reaction? Do you simply panic and fear everything? Do you jump into problem-solving mode, determined to fix it all? Or do you, like Daniel, turn immediately to God, surrounded by other like-minded believers in prayer? Today, Pastor James is going to encourage you to first and foremost seek God in prayer. Only He can guide you through this crisis. And recruit other prayer warriors to join you in seeking the Lord. Then praise Him when He answers your prayers. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: All right, so chapter 2, verse 1, it says, the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So there's the problem, right? You're like, how is that the second year when Daniel and his his buddies were taken from Israel and they went through a three-year-long process and this is the second year? How does it all work out? Relax. It's not a big deal, OK? First year, they always count as the ascension year. And so then then you have like the second year, which probably would have been the second year of their schooling or Indoctrination. Um, Then the third year, so to speak, which technically would have been counted by the Babylonians as his second year, would have been when these guys would have graduated. Okay. So, really, not that big of a deal. Some people make uh, mountains out of molehills. You know anybody like that? Yeah. It's like, really, just everybody calm down. Okay. It's not a big deal. So, it's the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, technically, could be going. It's in his third year, right? Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Anybody relate to those things? Anybody troubled? Anybody losing sleep over trouble? Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in good company, because guess what? Most rulers, kings, and all that good stuff don't sleep well at night. Um, when you're at the top of the mountain, you're not resting much. Because you're always looking over your back to see who's going to knock you off the mountain and dethrone you, Okay, So absolute power and in control and all that good stuff is not the best thing in the world. It is not. uh, We think, like, if we achieve this, then, man, it's just smooth selling. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's totally a lie. Because as human beings, we're so insecure. We are so insecure. And when you reach that top of the peak, whatever that even is for you, I don't even know, whatever that is, I can guarantee you this, you'll be looking over your shoulder to see who's going to take your place. And that's just how it works. So don't envy people of power. Don't envy people of power, because it's not all it's cracked up to be, all right? Here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's like He's the man within Babylon and really the dominating power in this region of the world. And even he can't sleep well at night. And part of his problem with not being able to sleep well at night is because God's messing with him. God's messing with him. Like, God's not allowing him to have sweet sleep. Nebuchadnezzar lays down, and I'm sure in his bed that he bought from Mattress Mac or whoever was rolling around back then, great, outstanding bed. It doesn't matter how comfortable the pillows are or what the temperature is in the room. If God's going to mess with you in your dreams, he's going to mess with you in your dreams. And there's no sleep. So he's, he's troubled. He, this dream that God gives him really just messes with him. So he, he's troubled. He can't sleep. His sleep had left him. And, and then he's going to make sure that other people share in his misery, right? Because that's also something we like to do. It's not something I would encourage you to do. But uh, if you need to bring people in to what? Like pray for you, good idea. If you want to bring people in to suffer with you, then not so much the best idea, right? Nebuchadnezzar is having bad dreams, so to speak, and he's going to call in all his advisors and his experts, because if I'm not sleeping, you're not sleeping, right? That's uh, that's also how it works. So it's funny how some some individuals do that type of stuff, but... You know, I I think we understand it at times. Misery loves company. I mean, that's kind of how it goes, right? And there's some comfort that comes along in that. But here he is, not sleeping. It's not because, you know. Pizza hadn't been invented yet. So that we know that that wasn't the part of the problem, right? It wasn't heartburn or anything like that. It's God's messing with them, giving them this dream. In verse 2, it says, the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So the assumption here is that, right, I don't even know what time it was. Probably in the middle of the night, right? Because he's not, he's not sleeping. So, and he wants answers right away. And so he's going to call in all these advisors that were set up by his dad. This is key. These are not, probably these are not all his appointed advisors. Because when you had the kingdom handed over to you, especially by the king before you, what preceded you was your father. Well, you get a lot of his guys that he had appointed. Now, they may have been loyal to your dad, but that doesn't mean they're going to be loyal to you. That's also the other thing that would Uh, some of these rulers would have hanging over their heads is, I don't know who's really for me or who's really against me. And I don't know who's a fraud and who's for real. So he's going to call in all these, the enchanters, the sorcerers. These are different job descriptions, but essentially they're all the same thing, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, they're within Babylon. And just so we understand, the the Chaldeans, very paganistic within their practices. Lots of... uh, Sorcery, witchcraft—I mean, all that type of stuff. So he's got basically—you got your magicians, you got your sorcerers, you got your the Chaldeans. That's just what they were called. They were the Chaldeans. We are Texans, right? I mean, for the most part, you live in Texans, you live in Texas, you're a Texan. Uh, you live in Chaldea in that that area, you're a Chaldean. Okay, but these guys were part of the ruling, probably the—I don't know—the expert panel, so to speak. But he summons them all, maybe. Maybe not his bedroom. Maybe he meets in you know, the official meeting area or whatever. But he wants them to tell him to interpret the dream. So it says they came in, continue on verse 2. They came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. OK, that's easy enough. Anybody can interpret a dream, right? Any more, I can interpret a dream. You tell somebody your dream, and they can be like, yeah, I think that means this. You don't know. They don't know. Right, but you probably trust in them and rely on them, especially if they, quote unquote, are an expert at interpreting dreams. But here's where he gets them. Because he doesn't need them to interpret his dream. He wants them to tell him his dream. This is part where we think that he probably doesn't trust these guys all that much. He says, I I want to know the dream the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And, And just so you understand, it's at this moment in time from Daniel chapter 2 all the way through Daniel chapter 7 that the language switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. From Hebrew to Aramaic. This is part of the proof that we be- where we really believe that Daniel actually wrote this book. Because if they say like, no, 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 this book was written well after the events, what guy is going to go through and write chapters one and then chapter two, although they didn't have the chapters and verses, you get it, but all that part in Hebrew and then switch to Aramaic and then switch it back to Hebrew in chapter eight through 12. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. So this is Daniel. He's writing first off, he starts off in Hebrew, and then he switches the language because he's very fluent at this point in time in Aramaic and switches all the language over to Aramaic. Here's the bigger picture. God cares for the Jews and he cares for the Gentiles. That's what you get from that. God cared enough to to record part of this, the Hebrew history side of things in Hebrew, but then also the Gentile history, which is Daniel 2 through 7. That's all Gentile history. He records it in their language. God cares about the Gentiles. God cares about the Jews. And it's beautiful that he does that in the book of Daniel, where he's like, oh, look, um, yeah, we're going to switch the language over to Aramaic. And then by the end of it, oh, this applies, this goes back to you Jews. 8 through 12, hey, this applies to you guys. You need to, be, you need to pay attention to this last part. Gentiles, pay attention as well. But you Jews, you really need to pay attention to 8 through 12. It's going to be in Hebrew, right? So it's really kind of cool that it switches. And it's Daniel who, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, switches the language. So now he goes to Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. They're like, easy easy. We don't like getting woken up by you. That's right. But they'd never tell him that because then he would cut their heads off because he was a brutal king. They're like, oh, this is easy. No brainer. Tell us a dream. We'll give you the interpretation. He's like, nah, not so fast. King answered, said to the Galdeans, the word for me is firm. In case you missed it the first time, let me tell it to you again. The second time, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins or made a dung heap. Is how other translations translate that. He's like, Oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, fellas. You didn't understand me the first time. No, you will tell me the dream and the interpretation, or I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tear you apart. And he was a man of his word. He was a rather cruel king. And everything that he said he would do, he pretty much did. He pretty much did. And he's letting them know I mean business. You're the experts at this stuff. Tell me what dream I had goes, verse 6, but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream. Come on, man. And we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. You're stalling, hoping that I change my mind. Because you see that the word for me is firm, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. So he's kind of like nailing him a little bit. He's like, no, no, no. We're not playing games, fellas. I could tell you the dream. You're just going to lie to me. You're just going to tell me what I want to hear. I want to know what the dream is. Some people would say that Nebuchadnezzar is the most expert. Well, I don't say most experts. I don't know how many of them, actually. But experts, quote-unquote, would say that he had forgotten the dream. I don't think he forgot the dream at all, honestly. I think he actually knew what the dream was. A lot of commentators believe that, that he knew what the dream was. It wasn't that he had forgotten it. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where... I. I don't dream. Well, everybody dreams. 90 minutes into your sleep, you start dreaming, right? And you dream like, what's it, like five plus times a night, right? You may not remember all your dreams. You may not be aware of all your dreams. Some of you may be very aware of some of your dreams. I don't know. When I take my allergy medicine, certain kind, oh, I have vivid dreams. I don't know what it is, but I have vivid dreams. If I'm not taking that certain kind of, and it is allergy medicine, I promise you. um, It was like, Zyrtec or something, right? No, we're not sponsored by those guys at all. But um, man, I could have vivid dreams, and I don't know how many I'd have, but I know I'd remember at least one of those things. But beyond that, I don't remember any dreams I've ever had. I just don't. But we all dream. We all dream. Nebuchadnezzar, this is such a vivid and real dream to him, he, he didn't forget what the dream was. He knew what it was. I think this is part of his way of figuring out, like, are you guys really real in what you say you can do? Or are you just playing me? And I think he's finding out that they don't have all the skills that their resume had touted, right? (laughs) They had padded their resume, so to speak. And he's finding out, like, wait, you don't speak German at all, do you? And they're like, oh, no, whoops, I shouldn't have included that. And he's like, you can't... You don't you can't interpret dreams. You don't even know what they are. So he's kind of he's kind of nailing them a little bit. He's doubling down. If you don't make it known to me, there's but one sentence, and that's death. And that's death. And he means business. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. This is ridiculous. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or a Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, plural. They are a polytheistic, meaning multiple gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So here's the experts, you know, so to speak. And these are. Babylon's religious leaders, right? And they're like, well, you're asking is impossible. We can't tell you that. No man on this planet can tell you that. The only one who could possibly tell you what you dreamed last night would be one of the gods, but they're not even close to us. They're distant. They don't dwell with the flesh, which is very interesting. I wonder if this is pre, like, roots of Gnosticism, right? That, well, yeah, there may be, like, a God who is there, but, oh, he's distant, and he doesn't care about humanity and all this good stuff. The whole time you got Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, uh, I. are reverting back to the old names there, uh, Azariah, who are there, who are worshipers of the one true God, the one true God, who can reveal dreams. And he actually is close. Which is funny. Which is really amazing too, this other statement that they say, the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. However, they have idols built. And they really believe that. I mean, their gods were kind of kept close to them in stone or wood, in their houses. They try to keep these things close to them, believing that their god was you know, represented by this thing or that thing. But even these, these quote unquote religious leaders Chaldean religious leaders were like, God, our, these gods don't even dwell with us. What are you doing? God becoming flesh, the incarnate God with us, Emmanuel. It's amazing. These guys are clueless. And they're also like, <laughs> I can't believe you're asking us to do this. You're asking us to do the impossible. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was very, well, he was angry. <laughs> he wasn't angry. He was, it says here, he, and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. That's a little excessive, right? That's a little bit excessive. Like, maybe just the guys in the room. But he's like, nope, all of them, all the wise men, all these wise guys, but I'm all dead. Well, wait, you just got a bunch from Israel. You know, some of those guys passed the test and, Nope, nope, all, gone, they're all gone. A little bit of an overreaction, right? Lost his cool, and oftentimes when leaders who are in charge lose their cool, other people suffer tremendously. When others who serve those leaders who are in charge don't meet the demands, they tend to be the ones who lose their heads, and other people suffer as well. So he, he issues this declare, so to speak, he wants them all dead he wants them all dead verse 13 so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed i mean this is it like we don't even know how much time lapses really cuz this is like probably middle of the night type stuff and then he issues this decree and maybe by like sunrise they're rounding up all these wise guys They're about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So they've already rounded up probably, more than likely, all the rest of the guys. They have them, like, corralled. We don't even know how they're going to kill them. Honestly, it doesn't tell us that. But so they go to get Daniel and his buddies, and they're going to bring them into the fold, so to speak, so that they can execute these guys. Then Daniel replied to with prudence and discretion. He's like, well, hold on here. He's like, oh, hold on before you put the handcuffs on us. Can I ask you a couple of questions? To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So he is the he is he's the executioner. Daniel asked, He wants to ask him some questions. Verse thirteen. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Why is it so urgent? Ariok made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is amazing. This is like bold faith. This is just absolute amazing, bold faith being produced or demonstrated by a teenage kid named Daniel who may have been anywhere from 17 to 18, maybe 19 years old. And he, he requests a presence in front of the king. So he says, give me some time. I'll tell you what the interpretation is. I mean, he's making like, this is a statement of faith because he doesn't know what the interpretation is. He doesn't know what the dream is, but he knows I serve the one true God who does know the hearts and the mind of men. Daniel probably was aware of, what's it, Psalm 139, verse 2, where, yeah, God does know our thoughts. (laughs) He absolutely knows our thoughts. Whether they're in in an awakened state or or an asleep state, God knows our thoughts. He knows what's going on inside of our minds. So he requests the king to appoint him a time. And that's the other part of that that's such a a bold move by Daniel. He's like, you tell me when you want the interpretation. You tell me when you want it by. You give me the deadline. You give me the deadline. He requests, he asks the king to appoint him a time. He's like, all right, king, um, I think I have a solution to your problem. You just tell me when you want it. And he probably maybe elaborated a little bit more to Nebuchadnezzar in the sense of like, now I may need some time, you know, but I think even if Nebuchadnezzar, had done something as, such as like, well, I want it right now. I do believe God could have been like, boom, there you go, Daniel. Right then, right there. But Nebuchadnezzar gives him some time, which is kind of amazing, the, um, just the, the relationship, so to speak, that Daniel had with some of these leaders. There was something about him that these leaders, I believe, trusted. And I think it speaks to his integrity, and it speaks of his character, Because he is given some time. Verse 17 tells us that Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So their lives are on the line. He's like, fellas, if there's a time to pray, it's now. <laughs> if there was ever a time to pray, it's right now. We need to beg, and we need to appeal to the God of heaven for mercy. Not just for themselves, but for these other guys. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So I love this. Daniel... Uh, upon getting this favor from the king, so to speak, he goes and what he does is he gathers the three other guys that were with him. They were also the ones who abstained from the king's delicacies, and they just ate the vegetables, and they just drank the water, and all that good stuff. And they were 10 times better than everybody else. He goes to those guys, and with them, they're going to make prayer a priority. And if you face a crisis within your life, make prayer a priority. That's step one. If you're going through a crisis right now, make prayer a priority. And don't just do it by yourself. That's good. You pray by yourself, that's fine. But bring in other people who are like-minded, like-minded, and probably share some of the same convictions that you do. Because I do think it's interesting that of all the other ones from Israel— Daniel goes and gets the three other guys who joined in with him who had the same conviction to not eat the king's delicacies and to not drink the king's wine, but to eat the vegetables and to drink the water. Daniel, plus his friends, had purpose within their hearts not to defile themselves. And that's the ones he went and found and had this prayer meeting with. You and I need to be doing the same thing. Make prayer a priority. But you better make sure that that prayer circle Make that prayer circle that of of individuals who are sharing those same kind of convictions.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle teach through the book of Daniel, helping us understand all of the fascinating things in this book. Imagine a king being debased to eating grass like a cow and looking like a complete barbarian. It sounds like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. There were many lessons for King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, and God used Daniel to speak truth to this king of Babylon. Don't you see that no matter what location you're placed in, God can use it for good, for people to turn their hearts towards Him. We hope that your heart is also turned towards God today. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Bread for the Broken. If there's any way that this ministry has impacted you, would you mind sharing that with us? You can get in touch with us through our contact page at breadforthebroken.com. We'd be so happy to meet you in person too. So if you're in the Galveston area, join us this Sunday or Wednesday for worship and Bible study here at Calvary Galveston. You can find directions, service times, and more by visiting our website, breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. In the meantime, we encourage you to continue reading on your own in the book of Daniel, as you'll discover so many things that God wants to teach you from Daniel's example. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off and keep covering passages in this Old Testament book right here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.